This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today, we're tackling the science of saggy boobs. That's right. It's just a part of life, ladies and gentlemen. Boobs, they sag. Yeah, you know, and and the thing is, people might hear, you know, the science of saggy boobs and just say, ladies, ladies, ladies. It's just gravity, right? Yeah, just uh, that theory of gravity, just pulling down on your boobs day in and day out. But that's wrong. Oh, yeah. If those people think that, those people are wrong. I can see why you would think that. Sure. I mean, gravity does pull things down, (laughs) you know. Yep. You know, like if you take your bra off, let it go, it will likely drop to the floor. Yeah. Likely. That's gravity. Imagine if that's what Newton had discovered gravity through. I realize I just like really screwed up the syntax of that. But like if a bra had fallen on his head instead of an apple. Oh, man, where was Newton? He was would, just having a good old time. Would he have kept that secret? Although I guess it wouldn't have been a bra back in his day. It would have been like pantalets or, or a corset. corset. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, depending on the type of corset it was, it might have hurt even more than an apple for that. Whalebone? Have you ever been hit in the face with whalebone? How many times have I been hit in the face with whalebone, Caroline? Constantly. It's weird here in the Sminty studio. We just have old-timey underpants. Always flying around. It's like one of those, you know, wind machines with mm-hmm. the money in it. Just imagine, <laughs> instead of, just imagine instead of like paper bills flying around, there are corsets, whale bones, bras. Knitting narwhals. Yeah. It, uh, we should really wear protective gear in here, honestly. I'm wearing my fencing outfit, so my face is protected. But yeah, so we're, we are here. We promise to talk about saggy boobs, not just the things that hit us in the face on a daily basis. Well, and, and maybe in order to get serious, we should switch from the colloquialism of saggy boobs mm-hmm. and get more clinical with ptosis. Yes. Which is a scientific term for saggy boobs. Yes. It's breast ptosis, because typically if you just search for ptosis, you're just going to get a saggy eyelid. Wait, is this a Google image search? Yeah. Well, it just a, a Google in general okay. will, will point you more directly to uh, the sagging of the eyelid. Eyelid ptosis. Yeah. But in this case, we're talking about breast ptosis. Breast ptosis. Breast ptosis, which does sound like it should be like all one word. Yeah. What would breast ptosis be? It almost sounds like halitosis. Oh, if like- you have stinky boobs? <laughs> oh, no. That can happen in the summer. Let's be honest. Dude, I know. Dude, I know. And there are actually degrees of sag. There are six degrees of ptosis, like six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. There are six degrees of your boobs sagging off your chest. And honestly, I was somewhat disheartened to learn this mm-hmm. because I feel like it's just pathologizing our, our ptosis, which, by the way, is spelled like it looks like it could be pronounced ptosis, which I have pronounced it ptosis before because that's more fun to say. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, they, there are even diagrams, helpful diagrams, so you can know just just what exactly is not perfect about your own boobs. And we're looking at one of those diagrams right now here in the studio. We are. And uh, it's a it's a white lady with some brown hair, shown of course in a in profile with a, a bare a bare breast, just one boob. You can only see one of her boobs. And she's a. I was gonna say a uniboob instead of a unicorn. But uniboob is the thing when you wear like a too tight sports bra. Mm-hmm. Or is that monoboob? I think monoboob, uniboob, I think they're synonymous. Listeners, let <laughs> us know if we're wrong. 
Um, anyway, but don't let me interrupt. Or maybe she's an Amazon, you know? Oh, yeah, because she lopped off her other boob so she could better shoot arrows. There we go. Anyway. And this uh, highly scientific ptosis diagram shows this uh like lady clone essentially flopping each of her single boobs over <laughs> a tightrope <laughs> to to evaluate w- what angle her nipple points to yeah and i mean they they point out what is quote unquote normal as being, regardless of your boob size and shape, it's when the nipple and the bulk of the tissue sits above the crease that's under your boob, a.k.a. the inframammary fold. But, you know, Kristen and I had a discussion a while back about, like, well, wait, 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 wait. If if it's a boob, it's normal. Like, boobs are normal. Your size, your shape, wherever they're pointing, if they're askew, if they're cross-eyed, whatever, they're normal. Even if you've got three, four or more. Yeah, if you have a whole row of them, whatever. It's you. It's normal. Um, and so jumping off of that, I actually tried to search online, dig up some information on like, okay, boobs have always been around and therefore they've always sagged at some point or another to one degree or another. So who came up with this like sagging ptosis diagram here where it does look like these drawings of women, they've just draped their boobs over like a ballet bar. Yeah. And I couldn't I couldn't find anything because I just wanted to know in everything we study, there's always an origin story, right? Of like someone who, quote unquote, discovered the condition, pathologized it, like wrote the diagram and all the rules. And whether it's something that like legitimately needs to be treated by a doctor or whether it's something that just women feel insecure about and they don't need to feel insecure about it. But I couldn't find any any like ptosis treatment origin story uh you know i think it's a solid bet that it was a dude and i would love slash not love to meet the guy who you know leaves work rushes to the bar to meet up with his friends and is like dudes <laughs> i developed i discovered uh, i discovered saggy breasts today <laughs> it was it was me i discovered them well it's like our episode on the clitoris about men discovering the clitoris like they had just struck gold in California. Anyway, so I'm sorry I don't have that information for you listeners. I would love to provide it. Yeah, and if, I mean, if anyone knows the the origin of, of this tightrope diagram. There's got to be someone. Like, we have some really smart listeners. Well, the thing is, too, as we're going to talk about in the second half of the podcast, it the answer might be many different, probably, men. And I say probably men because, of course, the earliest doctors were men. But as we'll talk about more, there is a cultural lens through which our definition of normal boob is uh, defined or portrayed or interpreted. Or depicted in helpful cartoons yes. like this one that we're looking at. Um, so once you start sagging, you've got grades one to three of boob saggage, one being mild, three being severe. Uh, then you have something called parenchymal maldistribution, which to me sounds like a Harry Potter spell. Um, but it's basically when your boob has a quote unquote unusual shape. Um, they define it as a lack of fullness in the lower part of the breast, a high inframammary fold. So that ballet bar would be real high up under your boob and a short inframammary fold to nipple distance. So. There's that. I mean, I, I think it's now tempting in the same way that you can practice like the eyeliner, liquid liner winged mm-hmm. look by putting an index card, you know, up against mm-hmm. your eye as mm-hmm. a guide. I'm now tempted to take an index card to my boob and see what what <laughs> what my line is. I did. I did stand sideways in the mirror after after this to be like, you know, I I don't know if my boobs are are. Hanging low if they're wobbling to and fro. Can you tie them in a knot? Can you tie them in a bow? So I stood to the side and and looks like everything is above the inframammary fold. Oh, excellent news. So you would get a grade one? Uh, No, I think I'd be normal. I'm not sagging yet. Oh, you don't get graded at all. See, you know what? As a real grade grubber in school, <laughs> I would like but my boob to be graded. You, you would want to be an N oh. for normal. What about an A for... Awesome. Aspirational, awesome, (laughs) 
Boobs. Boobs. And I'm an AB. You're an AB. Um, there are some distinctions though, uh, because y- I bet y'all didn't know that you can get this deep into <laughs> saggy breast science. You are welcome. Ooh, boy. There are a lot of nuances, <laughs> such as ptosis shouldn't be confused with atrophy, which is simply the loss or shrinking of tissue from lack of use. And of course, that applies to any type of tissue, not just your breast, such as um, <laughs> if you wear a cast. I don't know why this always tickles me. Someone wearing a cast and takes when they finally get it removed, their arm is all shriveled and pale from why does it disuse? Why does it tickle you? Like I said, I don't know. <laughs> just you're like, hey, I love when you have a shrunken limb. It's like you get a little, you get a little baby arm, <laughs> like that uh, Kristen Wiig character on SNL. But those are like baby hands. Anyway, um, but anyway, you've also got false sag. So like, we're never safe because you either have real sag stage one to three, or you've got false sag, which can actually then lead. To real sag, uh, or ptosis. This is also named pseudotosis, which is the fancy name for false sag. Uh, and this is coming from an actually kind of great website. So you know how like when you're convinced that something's wrong with you and you're dying, you go to WebMD and you're like, I don't know what it is. And you just convince yourself that it's cancer. Yes. Well, there is a website out there where actual real medical professionals can respond to your concerns. And this particular website was one for plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery concerns. And a woman had posted pictures of her breasts and was like, do I have atrophy or ptosis? What's going on? And doctors Donald W. Cress and Lori Saltz actually gave her some great answers. And they pointed out that she had pseudotosis. And they explained that this occurs when those anchoring ligaments of the breast that, you know, attach them to your chest. Your Cooper's ligaments? Yeah, Cooper's ligaments are still intact. So the, the support structure is still there, but the breast itself has deflated like a sad birthday balloon on Monday morning. And they explain that pseudotosis is not true tosis because, going back to our cartoon diagram, the nipple is still at or above that inframammary fold, even though the lower part of the breast is sagging. So their final diagnosis is what? Um, that you should go get a breast lift and an implant. Of course. Yeah. yeah. See, I wish that uh, we could set up our own website like this. People can send us their photos of, you know, the, the their, their vulvas or breasts or whatever part of, you know, the female anatomy, their cankles. <laughs> Congratulations. You're normal and human. Yeah. Everyone would just get a gold star and just be like, yep, Every, yeah, snow, you get a snowflake award. Because, Everybody would get an N for normal. I mean, because if pseudotosis is a thing, like you said, we can never win. And also, I'm going to take issue with their whole Cooper's ligaments reference, because there is controversy over whether those Cooper's ligaments are really supporting the breast, because a lot of doctors today think that Cooper's ligaments merely divide our breasts into compartments, kind of like when you peel an orange. You have those, uh, oh wow, that face that Caroline is making <laughs> is incredible. Imagine, <laughs> imagine your boob is an orange and your Cooper's ligaments are like the, um, those, uh, what, what is that? Oh, called? Like the, the white things? The fibers? The pith. It's pith. That's Pithy. what it's called. The, <laughs> the orange pith divides mm. the fruit into the wedges, kind of like our Cooper's ligaments do for our breasts. Interesting. I'm learning so much today. And that should be a song. Your boob is like an orange peel. Girl, it's just the pith. <laughs> You're the pithiest. Um, okay, well, so people are dying to know what causes it then. Well, we're going to tease them a little bit more and first tell them what doesn't cause it. <laughs> That's right, because there are a lot of assumptions out there that, like, you hit on one at the beginning, gravity. Everybody assumes it's just gravity, that you get old and gravity takes its toll and your boobs hit the floor. And, of course, gravity contributes to that, but it's a myth that it's only gravity. Also a myth that breastfeeding will make your boobs sag. Yeah, there have been several recent studies that have myth-busted that. It's not breastfeeding alone. It's pre- Well, I mean, pregnancy, though, will, will mess with it, but not the b- act of breastfeeding. Yeah, it's also a myth that pregnancy weight gain by itself is a major risk factor for ptosis. Weight gain and maintaining a higher weight is to a degree, but not pregnancy weight gain specifically. 
And the idea that if you don't exercise enough for your upper body, that that will somehow cause boob saggage. Not so. And also a big one that we need to knock out is the question of to bra or not to bra (laughs) and whether that influences how much your boobs will sag. Because some listeners might remember a French study that went viral a few years ago, uh, which, based on a very small sample size, found a correlation between wearing a bra and saggier breasts. And, of course, because the Internet and um, science, quote unquote, reporting is what it is, headlines abounded claiming, take off your bras, they're making your breasts sag. And in fact, that was not what uh, the study authors were claiming at all. There's no way that you can extrapolate such a conclusion as that. And wearing a bra or not wearing a bra probably will have no impact whatsoever on how much your breasts will ptosis. <laughs> will ptosticize? <gasps> Toast. Um... Okay, but things that are big risk factors, let's start off with aging, right? Because aging in general, you see the skin and its support structures start to lose its elasticity over time. And so, in the same vein, things that speed up aging could also potentially speed up the saggage of your boobage. Things like smoking and sun tanning. In other words, anything that breaks down skin's collagen and the protein elastin, which helps, you know, make you all bouncy and youthful and shiny as a young person, anything that breaks down that good, helpful stuff is going to contribute to your skin in general and also your breast tissue sagging. And of course, uh, weight will affect the shape and size of our breasts. So things like significant weight loss, higher BMIs and larger bra cup sizes are associated with more ptosis because when you gain weight, for instance, your skin and internal support structures may stretch. And conversely, when you lose weight, your boobs might sag if you don't have enough elasticity to regain their shape. Yeah, and not pregnancy itself, but the number of pregnancies overall is related to So basically during pregnancy, your breasts become engorged while you're pregnant and then nursing. And then they decrease in size and droop. And this droopage, saggage, tosisage gets worse with every pregnancy. But the factors, if we just look at an isolated boob away from these like (laughs) in the wild. Yes, a boob (laughs) in the wild away from these contributing factors such as weight gain or loss or pregnancy or smoking the main things that will determine how how perky your breasts are or are not, uh, where your nipples are pointing, where it hangs over that tightrope, are your amount of skin elasticity and really the ratio of your breast tissue to fat. And the higher a ratio you have of that, the firmer and perkier they will be. So higher on the breast tissue, lower mm-hmm. on the fat. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one reason, big reason why we, you know, experience symptosis as we age is because as we get older, a lot of that breast tissue is converted to fat. So mm-hmm. our breasts just get fattier over time. That's really what's happening. And for as much stress as we might feel and put on ourselves about our own personal ptosis, it's all in our genes. We can't really fight it, just like cellulite. I mean, those things, like elasticity and your breast density, that all traces back to your genes. Yes. Yeah, so look at your mom. Look at your grandma. Look at your dad. Look at you. Look at your dad. Look at your dad. And and then look to your future. And then get that index card. (laughs) Draw a line from your intramammary fold to your nipple. Get your boob tightrope. I love this. I love this little cartoon even more now that you said that. Now that I imagine it's just like a a little boob circus. All right, lady. uh, Flop them over. (laughs) Let's see here. Um, We didn't mention that there is one other cause, and that's congenital sagging. And that's when girls, young girls who are developing breasts originally, uh, when they develop breasts that sag with downward pointing nipples. Which, again, that just sounds to me like, oh, you just developed breasts. Yeah. And yours point they're looking in a different direction than maybe your best friends are yeah who what were we talking about what episode was it i think it was free the nipple where we mentioned 
some cultures where it's super common to sunbathe nude or go to the spa nude or whatever, on and on and on, and how in those societies women tend to report higher levels of body confidence because they're they're simply more used to seeing other women's bodies and knowing that all of these variations on a theme are normal. Yeah, they see more breasts in the wild. I mean, it, seriously, if you want to give your... Can we get Richard Attenborough? Is it Richard or David? I think it's David Attenborough. One of the Attenboroughs to narrate that documentary, Breasts in the Wild. And here we see, <laughs> through the thicket, a breast. No, I'll just pay you instead, okay? Okay. <laughs> Sold. But we need to take a closer look at the pregnancy factor, because there was a study from May 2012 in the Annals of Plastic Surgery, which found that 85 percent of patients who'd been pregnant at least once reported adverse changes in breast shape. After pregnancy? Yeah. So I guess they're something that is normal, which is your breasts changing shape. Your your whole body is changing shape throughout your life. But I mean, I guess that can be a bummer if you're not expecting it. Well, and it to me... It reminds me of our conversations on your so-called pre-baby body mm-hmm. and trying to get that back. Yeah. And the fact that we, I think, just like culturally are blind to how pregnancy just naturally changes a woman's body. And it's not like there is a body of ours that we like left behind, <laughs> like a coat somewhere at a party. <laughs> Gross skin suit. Um yeah, along the same lines, I mean, everything you just said sounds so nice and normal and comforting. But I did find a terrifyingly worded 1975 study from the British Journal of Plastic Surgery, which said, and I quote, Pregnancy and lactation may be followed by a total collapse of the structure of the breasts, particularly if an unusual degree of enlargement takes place. That sounds horrifying, right? A total collapse of the structure of the breasts? Yeah, I'm, I'm just imagining like a building demolition. <laughs> Like, those are your boobs. It's about to happen. They're imploding. Yes. You give birth and a cloud of dust goes up from your chest. Oh, it's the worst. I apologize to everyone. That's one thing that we never talk about in the delivery room or the exploding breasts. You know? <laughs> They're everywhere. Everywhere. That's why those surgeons have to wear, you the know. goggles. Yeah, some protective eye eyewear. Yeah, well, so what is going on with this supposed collapse of boob structure? So basically, you've got all of the enlargement that happens thanks to your pregnant body. Uh, that stretches and disrupts those Cooper's ligaments. Allegedly. Allegedly. I am such a Cooper's ligament skeptic over Interesting. here. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should do a specific episode about Cooper's ligaments. I had no idea. So all that enlargement also stretches the skin, which can contribute to wrinkles, stretch marks, and again, loss of support, which leads to this thing called postpartum involution. You might also know the word involution from another post-pregnancy thing, which is when your uterus shrinks back down. Uh, involution just means the shrinkage of an organ. And so the same thing is happening in your boobs. So I wonder, though, again, and if there is anyone listening who knows the answer, Please tell me, because this is one of those issues where there is not a ton of reliable information, yeah. especially if you're going through Google. It's a lot of plastic surgery websites. And a lot of Yahoo Answers. <laughs> and a lot of Yahoo Answers and a lot of older academic or scientific studies that are very hard for my brain to get through. And I don't mean to disparage myself. I simply mean that, like, I don't know what it's saying. Oh, yeah. Well, in the (laughs) 1970s, uh, there were a number of uh, doctors who were concerned about the braless trend at the time. Oh, yeah. And how it might affect women's breasts. Because this is also a period when most doctors you would see would be men, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to say that it might have been in the American Medical Association Journal, where there was a fantastic um, uh, letter exchange from doctors just very worried about women's braless breasts. That is such a good point. That makes so much sense, because a lot of the studies that I did find that were kind of in-depth I didn't want to review too closely because they were from the 70s. And so, you know, in any episode that you and I do where we are talking about health stuff, you never want to rely on something that's really old. You want to, like, try to get the latest information. So I sort of was like, 
why is there all this stuff from the 70s? I'm not going to read all this stuff. I mean, I have a feeling that that is the first time that doctors really started paying closer attention to women's breasts. Because, well, well, I mean, I wonder if it's the first time that everybody was seeing boobs not in their, like, rocket-shaped brassieres. In the pointy brassieres of the, of the, the like, 50s, 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, because similar to how we are still learning things about the internal structures of our vaginas and clitorises, we've been studying breasts only slightly longer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't until the 1990s that uh, researchers started to figure out the biomechanics of how female breasts move around. So if there are any boob scientists out there, I would like to hear from you and know what the state of your research is, because I think we need more of it, because I want that Cooper's ligaments question settled once and for all. Well, I know, and 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 I'm glad you brought it up, because I legitimately had not read anything that questioned the role of the Cooper's ligaments. Well, that's what I'm here for. I know, to you contribute know? things about ligaments. Calling out shoddy boob science. Shoddy tosis troubles. Yeah, talk about some pseudotosis. Oh, that's right, ladies. Um, okay, well, so when else does involution occur? Well, in the next big hormonal stage of our life, menopause. The fun never stops. So as women age, and especially after menopause, our milk-producing glands in our breasts called lobules close up shop. They pack up, they head home. Did they move to Florida like other other old folks? Yeah, we're moving to Florida. We're getting our lobules and our suitcases and we're going to Florida. Uh, this is called lobular regression or lobular involution. And it's interesting to see that both hormone replacement therapy and prior pregnancies do affect the progression of involution. So. 23% of women in this one study who had never used hormone replacement therapy experienced complete involution compared with just 20% of the women who had undergone hormone replacement therapy. 27% of women who had never had children experienced complete boob shrinkage. <laughs> involution. Sorry, I don't mean to be glib. Uh, compared with just 18% of the women who'd had four children, they found that women who'd had more than three kids ended up retaining more lobules. Okay, so why did I just throw all that at you? Why did I just read those statistics about lob some <laughs> lobule facts? There we go. Uh, um, It's too... Talk about breast cancer. (laughs) Sorry for the tone shift. But basically, according to the Mayo Clinic in 2006, women who experience complete involution of the breast had half the risk of breast cancer than those who don't. And that makes sense because breast cancer is thought to originate in our lobules. So people who have smaller and or fewer lobules are at a lower risk. And of course, this is not the only factor when it comes to breast cancer. Of course, there are more factors because I know that when I was reading this, I was confused for a minute because I thought, well, wait, I always thought that pregnancy itself was a protective factor, that the more pregnancies you did have, the lower your chance for breast cancer. But that's just another hormonal piece of the breast cancer puzzle. So I by no means want to indicate that, like, if you never have kids and never use hormone replacement therapy, you're going to be totally fine, uh, because obviously there's more to it than that. But those are some interesting tidbits. So this is all of a science and all of these factors that can influence the shape of our breasts. But, of course, we are often sold so many ideas about how our breasts should look and steps that we can take to make them look like those aspirational boobs. And we're going to talk about that when we come right back from a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. 
Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. We had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. All right, so listen. There is no amount, no amount in the world of push-ups or pull-ups or rowing or anything that's going to give you big perky boobs. Yeah, exercises cannot influence the shape of your breasts, which is unfortunate for people who have read uh, Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret. Oh, The exercise she does for you must, you must, you must increase your bust. Uh, what is it? You, you put your, push your palms together. Do you? Is that what it is? And flex. Oh. We're doing it right now, listeners, in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> We're flexing our pecs. We are. We are flexing the pecs. Yes. Yeah, because all of those exercises you do to benefit your bust, um, to boost the bust, it's going to boost your pectoral muscles, which are under your breasts, but it's not going to lift or firm those sacs of breast tissue and fat that sit on top of the pectoral muscles. Our sacs are just our sacs, you know. Sacs of fat. (laughs) We just got sacks of facts, too. (laughs) Nice. But nonetheless, in the same way that there are myriad exercises and creams and pills that we can supposedly take to erase our cellulite, same goes for all sorts of herbs and creams that are supposed to firm and smooth our breasts. But the thing is, anything topical that you rub all over your boobs is not going to magically seep in and restructure your tissue or that density of fat tissue to breast tissue. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if it could, uh, the FDA might be a little concerned. <laughs> yeah, and if it, yeah, exactly. And if it does promise to do that, you can pretty much rest assured it's fake. And that if, like you said, if it was real, if it did exist, it would cost a million dollars and probably be sold by one of those fancy lotion companies that celebrities always tout in magazines like La Prairie or La Mer that sell for like over $300. So they could sell like La Boob. La Boob. La Boobé. La Boobé. Mm, mm, nice. Yeah. But yeah, breast assured, <laughs> oh, it God. won't work. Have you been holding on to that one? It just came to my mind, and I just wanted to make sure I used it before it evaporated. Good. So, um, And again, the whole bra factor isn't going to fix, in quotes, or prevent any ptosis. Although, as we're going to talk about in our next episode, titled Sports Boobs, sports bras are very important to wear during exercise uh, because <laughs> when we run around, Our breasts don't just bounce up and down or side to side. They oscillate in a figure eight motion. And it's it's just good for our breast tissue to keep them supported with a sports bra. It hurts. Oh, yeah. Boob bouncing hurts a a lot. Um, Fact. 
Fact. Okay, well, so there are things that are helpful when it comes to, I don't even... Breast health? Breast aging, like, to keep them happy and healthy as they age. And it's really, like, the same advice for keeping your whole being happy and healthy as you age, which is, like, eat healthy, drink lots of water, get physical activity, and quit smoking. And watch sun tanning. Yes, watch sun tanning, watch your weight, all of those basic things. I mean, and and when it does come to surgery, and I, I wavered on whether to even talk about this because it's I don't want to appear to be like encouraging surgery, but I did get this information from Go Ask Alice, uh, which is the Columbia University, Columbia University advice site that has all great things to say in terms of body advice, health advice, sex advice. It's fabulous. So I was like, well, if Go Ask Alice can talk about it, we can talk about it. Well, and breast lifts and reductions are like physically necessary for a lot of women. I mean, yeah. I know Women who have really large breasts who are either saving up for reduction mm-hmm. sur- surgeries or are still kind of debating it just because yeah. it's it, it can be tough to get around and certainly exercise and stay healthy. Yeah, for sure. So as far as the surgical options for ptosis go, you can get breast lift surgery that removes extra skin and extra breast tissue. It also tightens and lifts the remaining skin and or can involve getting implants as well. But this is really only a stopgap because your ligaments and your skin, it's going to stretch again over time. And so that newly perky pair is still just going to start looking down to the floor eventually. And it also is worth keeping in mind, as the Go Ask Alice people point out, that if you are just thinking about getting implants because you feel like your breasts are sagging too far, that's still only going to fill them out. It's not going to lift. Yeah, I mean, and I think that this is where we get to the question of whether we are more motivated by cosmetic appearance, which obviously, like, there's nothing wrong with being concerned about how your breasts look. I think mm-hmm. it's it's a natural thing. Um, but if you're looking for surgery purely for cosmetics because we think our breasts should look a certain way, or if our ptosis is causing us physical pain Mm -hmm. and problems. Yeah. And probably sussing out the two is even more challenging because (laughs) there are, you know, so many layers to what we think our breasts should look like. Because, of course, there's our personal taste, maybe our sexual partner's personal taste, what we might see in pornography um, and just societally what um, what we're taught looks good. Yeah. Or... What we thought looked good when we were cave people. Oh, yes. There's always the the cave people. I feel like we need a bell or we need some sort of sound effect to indicate when we're about to talk about evolutionary biology theory, because we always do. And I always like I always like it and also raise an eyebrow at it because it always makes sense to a degree. But I'm always I always make sure to like remain a, a little bit skeptical. Um. But boobs are no different when it comes to having an Evo bio theory around them and our preferences for their shape. There was a 2015 study in the journal Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Global Open uh, that talked about how relative youth and physical appearance provide clues to youth and fecundity, basically like ability to pop out babies uh, and If a woman has farmed out the baby-making job to a cave dude already, uh, because other cave dudes want to be able to tell. Like, am I going to get a cave woman who is ready to make babies, or has she already made babies? So essentially, the Evo Bio explanation for us even worrying at all about how our breasts look is that uh, cave people presumed that perky breasts meant someone had not been... He hadn't yet had kids, but would make but that a, she's a wonderful womb. <laughs> she would make a wonderful womb. Uh, yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Basically, that she's clearly young and healthy, but has not farmed out the cave daddy responsibilities yet. Um, and it sounds like a is that like a task rabbit thing that you can do <laughs> these days? 
Um, so the researchers write that the post-pregnancy breast shape is a major sign of previous childbearing. In fact, this may be the only visual sign of previous pregnancies. Evolutionarily speaking, men with a preference for the nulliparous breast shape, which is, which is the shape indicating that the cave woman has not had cave babies, would have had more reproductive success. And also helpful hints for those cave dudes. Also look out for signs like a stroller, um, <laughs> like spit up stains on shirts. Yeah. Had they invented the wheel yet in this evolutionary biology theory? No, it was just more of like a wooden sled. You kind of pulled the baby <laughs> along with bags under the eyes suggesting that, you know, you just haven't got any sleep. Those, yeah, those are things. Yeah. Not just the eyes up here, man. Yeah. <laughs> Stop staring at my cave boobs. Yeah, don't look at my cave boobs. Look at my cave eye bags. Because also, like, back then, wasn't there cave boob variety? One would think. But also, like, presumably you lived in a community small enough, right? Like a tribe small enough that you would be like, oh, yeah, cave Susie over there. Cave Karen. Cave Karen. Cave Karen. Is that cave with a K? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Has already had a cave baby. Uh, you so, never know. Paternity assurance is, uh. It's a driver of behavior. Yeah. Apparently breast ogling. So, anyway, I hope you picked up on, uh, how important and how yet skeptical we are about Evo Bio theory. I mean, I am legitimately curious, yes. though, about all of these kinds of nuances. And I think that's why we give Evo Bio sometimes a, and oftentimes a skeptical eye, just because it seems so broad brush. Yeah, of course. Yes. Well, so we, we hopefully have gained some insight into cavemen, but what accounts for plastic surgeons' preferences? And that's something I had not thought about. It had not crossed my mind. And of course it should, I guess, but like it hadn't crossed my mind that, oh, surgeons aren't just McDonald's where you can like pull up and order what you want. They have a an opinion, like a view on how those boobs are going to look that you order at the drive through. Although like McDonald's, you can supersize it (laughs) if you have extra money to spend. Zing. Yeah. Well, so according to a June 2015 study in the Annals of Plastic Surgery, uh, what is influencing surgeons preferences are their home country and their age. So surgeons in India, the study authors note, prefer the most upper breast fullness, while surgeons in France prefer the least upper breast fullness, in addition to smaller areolas. Although German surgeons apparently prefer the smallest areolas (laughs) of all. It's just like two little moles. (laughs) Barely see them. Beauty marks. I like it a little. A Marie Antoinette like heart shape. (laughs) It's just like Barbie boobs with Sharpie nipples. Whereas you go somewhere else, next thing you know, dinner plates. Oh, God. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get. I guess it depends on the country. Also, quick note that if you are wondering, the answer is yes, your nipples are normal. Yeah. Just period. Whatever they are. Look down. Do you have them? They're fine. Um... Age of the surgeon also influenced it. Older surgeons tended to prefer less upper boob fullness with larger areolas. And, and there is an implication to all this. There, there is no universally accepted preferred boob size or shape. And we are at just but one point in time in history. And therefore, boob shape trends could shift. And to me, that's funny to say because but women's body parts being part of a trend. But again, it's something that we've talked about before. And I mean, I don't have the gender stats on that study, but it feels like, uh, A, we've got some heteronormativity going on, and B, that uh, men are the tastemakers of what breast shape is considered normal. Yeah. Um, the other bit of advice that comes out of this study, of course, is that there is a growing global, uh, basically like travel plastic surgery industry, you know, where you might go to Brazil for a butt lift or, you know, go to, I don't know, somewhere else for a nose job. But you should keep in mind that depending on the country you go to for your procedure, the doctor might have a different preference. Because if you go to Germany, tiny, tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny areola. <laughs> so. 
be prepared. Um, yeah, and, and doctors, they write, should also be aware that, hey, not everybody wants either like a super full Barbie boob or a super like, quote unquote, natural teardrop shape. Everybody's going to want something different. And so therefore, they warn consumers out there, be careful of anyone who touts an ideal breast shape, which leads us directly into our next study in which uh, researchers have purported to find the ideal breast shape. Oh, come on, science. Yeah, so this is coming from a study from uh, the 2014 Journal of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. And they determined that a 45 to 55 ratio with 45% of fullness above the nipple line and 55% below, creating a slight teardrop shape, is the ideal breast silhouette. And this is based on interviews with 1,300 Americans. Yeah, so this was not an international study. This study did include different genders, races, ethnic groups, the whole nine yards. That's great. But it is still just Americans. Um, so that is worth noting. But the researchers were basically hoping that their results would serve as a, quote, visual guide for both patients and surgeons, the end goal being to produce more acceptable, longer lasting results and ultimately more beautiful breasts. And then it's my face with a bunch of question marks above it. Well, sure, because obviously, you know, you have the cultural factors, which absolutely makes sense because so much of our breast shape is determined by our genes. So you're going to have just probably different types of breasts around the world happening. But then also you have the fact that boob shapes are impacted by fashion trends. Mm hmm. Where, you know, like, like we said in the 1950s and 60s, you have the pointy, um, <laughs> the, the pointy boobs created by Cold War the, boobs, the Cold War boobs. Yeah, just like a missile. And then you have uh, flatter breasts that might be more in style in the 70s. Yeah, and think, yeah, I think early 90s, you had people like Kate Moss, who were the height of fashion and beauty, and she was very slim with small, small chest. So, not exactly the Playboy Bunny look. And it, it is, again, it's funny to me that breasts and their shape can be in style or not. Oh, it makes total sense to me, though, because it's like how many ways can we inflict some body anxiety onto breast and vagina havers? <laughs> And that exact thing is what Margaret Hartman was writing about over at Jezebel back in 2010. She was talking about uh, having read this Playboy spread that looked at the evolution of preferred boob shapes over the years. And, uh, you know, everything from boob shapes to body hair and, and everything in between. And she does tell a story about how her mother was so, like not accepting of how her, Margaret's, boobs were shaped every time she took her daughter bra shopping because Margaret's mother grew up in that era of your boobs are very high and very missile-shaped and at the ready in, in your in your super, uh, super shapey bra, whereas she was wearing the more natural, like, go with the shape you're born with kind of bra and how those generational differences can shape what we view as attractive and acceptable. And, I mean, just the stereotypes that we attach to different kinds of breasts that we see in the wild, for instance, uh, the maybe impulse to stereotype a woman who is walking around braless as, oh, well, she must be more of a hippie. Whereas, and I've heard mm -hmm. this directly from actually a lot of large busted women that they are judged as less intelligent. Yeah. Based on their their breast size and are often talked down to noticeably, especially by dudes, um, due to their boobs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, and I'm so I'm just wondering like, and this kind of circles back to what you and I were talking about at the top of the podcast in terms of like, where did we get the pathologizing of sagging boobs. Like, where did that originally come from? Because, you know, in that Jezebel piece, Margaret Hartman talks about how her mother finally came out and was like, your boot, if you're not wearing the, the, you know, the super shaper bra, your, your breasts just hang too low. And it's like, whoa, 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 hang too low. Well, like, so if you're a middle-aged woman and you're concerned about what are really normal breasts hanging too low, like, 
Where did that idea come from? I think it traces back to our ageism, honestly, because it is true that the older that you are and the more pregnancies you've had, which suggests that you are probably older as well, the the more ptosis your breasts might um, experience, showcase. I'm not sure of the correct <laughs> verb showcase. here. But I think that it's very much linked to our devaluing of older women. Because, yeah. I mean, think about the stereotypes of saggy boobs. It's unfeminine. It's unattractive. Oh, your boobs sag. You're old and worn out. Yeah. You've been around the block, the boob block. Whereas it's just like, these are just, it's just my... Breast tissue to fat density ratio. So then I wonder what came first, the doctor who said, here, let me fix that for you, or the woman who said, am I normal for having my boobs look that way? You know, I, I, it, I, your theory, your explanation seems to fit perfectly. It makes complete sense to me that it just fits in with like, you know, we get to a certain age and people start thinking about facelifts or eye lifts, um, you know, all sorts of procedures and creams and, and cures for aging. You know, people want to look young and stay young and not only for personal vanity, but just on the basis of being devalued by society. Yeah. I mean, and we saw the same process happen with female body hair where mm-hmm. it started out with the just general pathologizing of I think they called it hypertrichosis which was literally like a made up term that the American Dermatological Society came up with to just say, like, women who have body hair, uh, if, if we can see too much of it, then that's a bad thing. You need to get rid of mm-hmm. it. And in terms of chicken egg questions, that comes up so much with bikini waxing. Yeah. Where it's like, how, how did that start? Was it us seeing porn or, you know, someone telling us that we had too much hair? What's happening down there? <laughs> Yeah. So um, I, I'm interested to hear from people who of, of all ages, definitely, who have either experienced a degree of breast sagging and felt fine about it. Like, I don't care. This is just my body or people who have felt really embarrassed about what's going on with their boobs. Yeah. And, and the last thing I want to do is invalidate or minimize people's Emotions and feelings about their body shape, if anything, we're just trying to reinforce the fact that a lot of what women are told are imperfections are just the ways that our bodies work in in varied ways. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's totally fine to have feelings one way or the other about your body. I just think it's really helpful to better understand what influences literally legitimately influences the the shapes of our different body parts. Well, that's why I thought it was so important to cite the one study that's like, beware of anyone who tells you that there's an ideal breast shape with the 2014 study that this wasn't researchers saying we have an ideal breast shape that we've created, more that they were interviewing people out there in the wild in the United States who said we overwhelmingly, male, female, young, old, black, white, Indian, Asian, whatever, we prefer this shape. Yeah, I mean and and the thing is aesthetics are inherently subjective. Mm-hmm. Heart health, ideal heart health, that is objective. Yeah. That is a factual thing. Mm-hmm. An ideal breast silhouette, um grain of salt. Yeah. So, listeners, we can't wait to hear from you on this because this is one of the things about stuff I've never told you I love the most, which is digging into these Questions that we might think are sort of unanswerable, but if we dig hard enough, we got some facts. So hopefully these facts were helpful and we want to know what you think about them. Momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. Got to tell you about Best Fiends. It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game 
Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free, Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R, Best Fiends. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. And now, back to the show. All right, we've got a couple of letters here in response to our Gymnastics Gold episode. This one's from Kelly. She says, I really enjoyed your podcast on the history of gymnastics and your discussion about the role that race, class, and gender all have in how we think about both gymnastics and gymnasts. I was struck by the question, what is driving Gabby and Simone to be so humble and perhaps skeptical of their abilities? Well, I think you all brought up some good points and potential reasons why they could be hesitant to call themselves two of the world's greatest gymnasts. I would also posit that race is once again rearing its ugly head and how these girls see themselves or to borrow from the sociological concept, the looking glass self, how they perceive how others view them. As a person of color, I can attest to the fact that we often feel the need to be twice as good as our non-person of color counterparts to receive the recognition we deserve. We know quite keenly how our accomplishments can be discredited for trivial reasons. Gabby and the criticism of her hair is a good example. And so sometimes we don't really believe in our excellence until it is confirmed by those in power. I don't mean to speak for them or project onto them things that they may not be grappling with, but I did want to bring to light how people of color who are breaking barriers in predominantly white institutions can sometimes feel about our successes in those spaces. So thank you, Kelly. And I've got a letter here from Allison. Who writes, I can't believe my favorite podcast just discussed my all-time favorite sport. I did gymnastics growing up and then competed NCAA Division III gymnastics at MIT. I still mess around in the gym some and am a huge follower of NCAA and elite gymnastics. As you mentioned, Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles are amazing gymnasts, but I also wanted you to show some love for Allie Raisman. I think she's such a great ambassador for the sport. She has spoken openly about learning to love her body and her muscles, which is such a positive message for girls. You guys also mentioned some of the gendered commentary in gymnastics. I never quite know how to feel when the commentators discuss the women's leos, as in leotards. The men's leos are never discussed. Even in the beginning of the live stream of the women's team finals for the Olympics, the female commentator interrupted the male commentator's discussion of Team USA's dominance to point out how she thought their leotards were pretty. Ah, focus on the awesomeness of the girls, not their leotards. And one last fun fact, since you have discovered the gymternet, there is an online fantasy gymnastics league for NCAA gymnastics. One of my brilliant former teammates at MIT started the league several years ago and even did the website design and coding herself. Allison, I love that so much. I do not play fantasy football, never will, but fantasy gymnastics. (laughs) I could get into that. So now, listeners, we'd love to hear from you as well. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources, so you can learn even more about the science of saggy breasts, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 